This subject that we're looking at today, um, can we, do we believe in the miraculous? It's part of our DNA if we're Christians today. It's in the early churches, but it's mystifying, isn't it, if we're honest? We're very conflicted often on this subject. We see when God does it, and we're confused when he doesn't seem to. And uh, I share that. I think we all, if we're honest, share that confusion, that confliction. But I also know that actually when we kind of raise the bar on what we expect from God, he does incredible things uh, because he is a huge, powerful God. And I just thought we'd watch this tiny little video. I got it from Twitter a, a week or so ago and it made me smile about what we feel like being co-workers with God. So let's just have a little look at this if we can see it. <laughs> um, that's me a little bit with my relationship with the miraculous, you know, moving forward, striding forwards, and then flat on my face. And I like to think that the early church was no different in a way. They were learning as they went to see if they could replicate what they had seen Jesus doing. He told them they could. He told them that the same spirit uh, would be in them that was in him. He told them they could do it. And here they are in this passage, Peter and John going to the temple to pray every day, expectantly. And as we look at the miraculous, as we look at the kind of do it again, Lord, that we're looking at in this season uh, in church, I wanted us just to think about the miraculous really in our world. Because as, as we heard in the introduction, skeptics might say, well, there is no miraculous. But actually, our universe contains the miraculous. Glenn Scrivener says, Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Materialists believe in the virgin birth of the cosmos. Choose your miracle. It's a great quote because it basically says it all started somehow and whatever you believe today, whether you believe in the Big Bang Theory, whether you believe in evolution, whether you believe in the creation story, whatever you believe, something, because we're all here, has come from nothing. There is a miracle that is the universe and we see that in creation, we see that in nature, we see that in birth with little Jude coming amongst us today. I like to think he was named after me but I'm not sure that's true. Um, but um, some miraculous things uh, are happening around us and we see that in the whole of creation. Whatever you choose to believe, there is something miraculous about the universe. Craig S. Keener has written two really hefty volumes that Ben Pearson lent me a couple of weeks ago. He is an academic who has dared to look at the Book of Acts. Now, interestingly, he's quite unusual in that. Academics are often drawn to the epistles, to the theory, to the philosophy, but actually the Book of Acts can put people off. Why? Because it's a book of happenings. It's a different kind of vibe. But he's gone in on it. He's looked at it. He's looked at the culture. Where do miracles happen? Why do they seem more prevalent in some areas than not? And he's really looked at, really examining his own belief afresh, interviewing loads of people who've seen miracles all over the world. And this is what he says uh, in conclusion. Hundreds and millions of people worldwide claim to have experienced or witnessed miracles. 
Eyewitnesses claim, eyewitness claims appear in a wide variety of cultures among Christians, often emulating the models of healings found in the Gospel and in Acts. Granted, such healings do not occur on every occasion and are fairly unpredictable. Yet, they seem to appear with special frequencies in cultures and circles that welcome them. And that last phrase for me jumped out because it's not need them, is it, interestingly? Now, we might say, oh, yes, yes, that happens often in other countries because of their need. You know, this guy's got confused about what he really needs, hasn't he, in the story? But actually, it's welcome. It's expecting. You will see my little sign here from my house. And um, this was given to me at a time when I needed a miracle in my life, in a relationship. And it was front and center. If you went into my front room, you would have seen it there, uh, waiting, believing, believing, believing. And gradually, it worked its way into my spare room, gathering dust, I'm ashamed to say. Because as time went on, and the miracle didn't happen, seemingly, it became an embarrassment to me, and my friends teased me about it, that it was no longer there, it was in the back room, because that relationship seemed dead and buried, and the miracle I was longing for didn't happen. Years on, the miracle absolutely has happened, but in a totally different way in how God has restored that particular relationship. Not in the way I would have thought, but nevertheless, there is something of the miraculous about how God has restored that relationship. So if we're honest, we are conflicted. We have the expected miracle, and then maybe if we're anything like me, we get a little bit tired of waiting. But here in the passage, I think we have some real encouragement today. There are three things that I'm just going to take from this particular miracle that happens. The first is the regular commitment to pray. The second is looking at somebody again with fresh eyes or a relationship again with fresh eyes. And the third is the sudden work in the name of Jesus, the sudden miracle that happens when this guy who's been lame from birth jumps up and starts dancing around. I mean, quite extraordinary. So those are the three things that we're going to have a look at. So the first then I love as a pastor and I identify with it because it honours prayer after prayer after prayer. You may feel that you've been going up for prayer and you've been asking for prayer and you've asked your life group to pray and you're carrying on praying and you're perhaps yet to see the breakthrough that you long to see. There are two quotations here that really help us, I think. The first is from Pete Gregg, who uh, I'm a big fan of, as some of you know. He says this, our prayers light up landing strips for the invading forces of heaven. So when we pray and we think, is God there? Is he doing what he says he'll do? We are, we're, if you like, we're making a way where there seems to be no way. Every time we pray, the kind of forces of heaven are dynamized, are engaged. The second one is from Beth Moore. And I love this, but it's tough. There are parts of our calling, works of the Holy Spirit, and defeats of the darkness that will come no other way than through fervent, faith-filled, unceasing prayer. And that encourages me because... 
These two men, it says, if you look in other translations, went every day at three o'clock in the afternoon to the temple to pray. This was a regular pattern of prayer. And my hunch is this guy had been there every day. We hear that in the passage. He'd been there every day. And we don't know how many times he'd cried out before, even to them. We don't know what stopped them, maybe seeing him even before, but their paths had crossed day after day after day, going to pray, going to pray, going to pray. And as we've come out of our time of prayer and fasting uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we can be sure that God will honour what we did there together, that things will break out, and I believe that. I think we've already seen that. We've seen a shift, and the more that we pray, the more that we fast, the more that we say, I am committed to seeing breakthrough, I do believe God honours that. Our lovely Ben Pearson, our worship director, shared a beautiful story with me a couple of weeks ago that he's given me permission to share. Uh, as, a, as a young boy, he was diagnosed with a really, really tricky blood condition to do with not having enough platelets in his blood, a disease that was actually ITP, but the, the original Latin meant an unknown disease, really hard to quantify, but so little platelets in his blood that if he had any kind of accident uh, and, and started to bleed, he could really have died there and then. So horrendous for his family, as you can imagine, terrifying for them. He was in and out of the children's hospital a lot um, and then brought home with his parents because they were good, caring, faithful parents trying to protect him from ever falling over, from having nosebleeds, from having accidents. You imagine that kind of pressure for them and for Ben. But he was part of a church family that prayed for his healing for five years. Five years. So that's the slow work of prayer right there, isn't it? Now, I am sure that not every faithful friend prayed every week. That's the body of Christ, isn't it? Some will have grown weary and others will have risen up and so on. And we're the same, aren't we? But the body together believed for it and prayed for it and pressed in. And then one day, his platelets had been between 5 and 20. One day he's taken in and suddenly they are up, and I wrote it down, was it 190 his plates. It was a miracle. And there suddenly, against all the odds, he's discharged from that hospital, not under their care anymore, not needing that care anymore. Amazing. And we're very thankful, aren't we? Because we love Ben and we have him now, but you know, we could have lost him. Um, and that's a beautiful story. But it's a story that includes the slow work of prayer and the unsuddenly. And who knows where they kind of meet. The second uh, thing I, I think the passage really shows us then is fresh eyes. How can we look again at our families, our situations, our struggles within marriage, our struggles within health, our struggles at our jobs, the struggles, the things that we say, here's the impossible thing, God. We'll all have an impossible thing. Many, many of us now will think, well, I can believe for that, but not that, if we're honest. But for this man, sat at the gate every single day, it must have felt impossible, mustn't it? So much so, interestingly, that what he asks for is not healing. When, they, when the disciples go by, he doesn't call out and say, heal me, I, I'm lame from birth. He calls out silver and gold. He calls for money because almost that's all he can, that's all he can believe for. 
And I wonder as God challenges us by his spirit again today, what is it that we really, really have perhaps put in pending, uh, put in the kind of waiting pile or whatever the equivalent of that is now to say, God, I just can't go there. And whether God wants to say to us, be bold, expect again the miraculous, look at fresh eyes, look with fresh eyes at the people God's put in your path. One of our site leaders over at Mosley um, was walking at Christmas down his road. He's a granddad. He had his pushchair with him. He's walking along. He sees a guy clearing the leaves from outside of his house. And he says, oh, thanks for doing that. It's the road that he lives on. Thanks for doing that. I've done the same, actually, uh, across my drive. Wish more people would do it. Thanks so much. Brilliant. On he goes. God says to him, go back and talk to him. How awkward's that? <laughs> or maybe you're not as shy as me, but I would find that awkward if I walked past and suddenly trot back and say hi. But that's what he did. And um, he went back and he just said, I noticed when you spoke to me uh, an Eastern European accent. Did I get that right? And the man said yes. And they started talking about that and his travels there. And it led to a conversation where he was able to invite the guy to come to our Christmas carol service. And the man came. In fact, he was early. <laughs> he was just so keen to come. Now, that's seeing someone with fresh eyes. That guy has seen that man day after day after day on his road. But in that moment, the Holy Spirit, just as it did in Acts, said, go. And are we going to be ready for those moments? Because I do think that's a work of uh, being alive in the Spirit, is walking to work, is running along and thinking, God, I want those unsuddenlies. I want to be able to see with fresh eyes the people that you've put alongside of me. What was it that made Peter and John that day hear the man and see the man that perhaps on other days, for some reason, they didn't? Finally, and this is the bit we all love. If you're like me, I love a drama and I love something quick. I'm not a big fan of the slow, um, but I love the suddenly. So if there's a miracle, I love it. I think we all do. You know, it is incredible. I have seen miracles happen and it is incredible when they happen. It's also baffling when they don't seem to. But we love the unsuddenlies, don't we? They're the ones that hit the headlines. They're the ones that get to the back of Outlook. They're the ones that are actually a little bit naughty. Um, but that's true, isn't it? The unsuddenlies. They do, because we love that. And here we have an unsuddenly, no doubt about it. In the name of Jesus, walk. So Peter and John turn, they're asked for money, and they say, look, we haven't got money, but what we do have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus, walk. How beautiful. They're at the beautiful gate, this man. They're every day faithfully waiting, perhaps for who knows what. He has his unsuddenly. He has his moment where he is restored. And we hear that he's walking and, and running and dancing in awe and praising God. But he had waited a long time for that unsuddenly. And maybe the early disciples had waited a long time too, we don't know. We don't know how long perhaps they had prayed for healings and the miraculous to break out. But nevertheless, it did. And I'm going to ask uh, Manjinda, uh, who's come over to join us, Martin and Manjinda from our Mosley Gathering, have come over today because you were privileged, many of you, to hear Manjinda's story in the summer when we did the interviews. And if you'll remember, she was facing an impossible situation. Let's welcome Manjinda uh, up onto the platform. Um, 
Manjinder, I wonder if just for those of us who didn't hear, and I know many of you did hear Manjinder's story, you could just catch us up to date on uh, a little bit of a summary uh, for us. Last year, I shared how I became a Christian when I was at university. Um, I found myself in the midst of a mini-revival. Uh, it still took me about a year and a half to make my commitment because I knew that it would mean separation from my family. Uh, when I did tell them that I could no longer go to the Sikh temple with them, it did mean separation from my family. So the last time I was here, I hadn't spoken to my mum for about... 27, 26, 27 years. What I didn't say was that a couple of days before I shared, she'd actually fallen over and broken her femur and was in hospital. My family uh, were very optimistic and thought that she would uh, recover. Um, the following week at Riverside House, um, I shared again, uh, I was interviewed, uh, by that time, my mum had deteriorated quite a lot um, and I'd said to somebody after the service that it was probable that there would be no reconciliation in this life. Um, three days after that, um, I had a phone call, uh, a text message from my sister uh, my mother was in hospital and she said that she would like to see me. Um, over the course of the next eight days, uh, my mother met me and my family. Uh, she was very warm towards us. Uh, she was very affectionate. She asked Martin for forgiveness. Um, she'd never met him before. And it was almost like she knew that her time on this earth was short and she wanted to make her peace with everybody. And it was, I felt like I had prayed on and off for many years for that moment and it was not to be. But then when I shared at Riverside, it was the first time I had shared in a public way my story and I felt like so many people had prayed and so quickly it seemed things changed, that things turned round. And this lunchtime, uh, we're going to have a birthday celebration for my sister and all my siblings are going to be together for the first time. So it's almost like my mother opened the door to reconciliation with the rest of my family before she passed away. So thank you for, to everyone who prayed for me. That's absolutely amazing. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I just have to pray because I know how costly it is for Manjinda and Martin to share. So let's just um, pray. Lord, thank you for the beautiful slow work of prayer and the unsuddenlies of your spirit. Thank you that in Manjinda and Martin's story, we can see both your beautiful slow work and the suddenlies of your spirit opening a door for reconciliation. Lord, thank you for Manjinda sharing today and what that does is it stirs our faith afresh to believe for those impossible situations. Bless her now and bless their time at lunchtime. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give her another round of applause. For
we're going to have a, a time where we, we respond uh, to um, the message that we've heard and to this scripture. Um, as we look, Manjinda honestly said, I don't know why I'm holding this, um, <laughs> um, she said so honestly, I'd almost given up. And, and shared at the end of her interviews, you know, that she thought she may never see her mum again. There will be those of us here who need a similar miracle for a relationship, uh, for something that's gone adrift, that we just long for God and say, do it again, Lord. Maybe, maybe we have grown tired and have started asking for other things and God would just say, do it again. Maybe there are some of us struggling with our mental health, with our physical health. And, and it's so tough. I think people particularly struggling with mental health to believe that God can do that miracle. We know that medication, all of that is really, really helpful. But we also know that God is able to do immeasurably more than we can hope or imagine.